In November 2022, the World Health Organization renamed monkeypox to Mpox. This was in order to fight stigmatization surrounding the name. Combating shame and stigma surrounding Mpox is one of the primary goals of this series. As this was recorded prior to this change, this episode will feature references to the original name. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Sex. Some people aren't just doing it, they're really doing it. I'm really doing it. For like anything that's fun, safety first. We have to be aware of sexually transmitted infections. Now, before I carry on, I will say it one more time for the people at the back. Monkeypox is not a sexually transmitted infection. But this current outbreak is being transmitted sexually. And when it comes to infections that are passed on sexually, there is an added level of stigma. When we talked about the similarities in response to the HIV epidemic in the 80s, back in episode five. So often people say things like, oh, so how did you get it? You don't say that to someone with like diabetes. It's really clear that when it's STIs impacting sexually active folk in the LGBTQIA plus community, it's worse. Why is that? What is it about queer sex that creates this for all? It's just sex. Today, we are talking about sex, and we are not holding back, even if others are. So when it comes to talking about sex, what the pox is going on? It is temporary. Above all else, that is what I remember that got me through it. We need to make sure that gay and bisexual men have access to the vaccine. What I'm seeing a lot in the media are quite stigmatizing messages. If people were always you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no STIs ever in the world. It does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe wouldn't be in this situation potentially. It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Welcome back to What the Pox, the podcast resource talking about monkeypox without shame or stigma, and looking at the wider issues that this response has highlighted for LGBTQIA people. Throughout this outbreak, we have heard phrases like certain groups, or dense sexual networks, or sex on site venues. But like, what does that really mean? Like, what are they actually talking about? Basically, it's folks that engage in sex with multiple partners. People that attend gay saunas or bathhouses or clubs to have sex. It also includes people that have group sex and even those that work within the sex industry. A lot of people are scared about even talking about some of this. So we're going to lean into that discomfort and do justice to the conversation. Because there is no set format for sex. 
Monogamous sex in the missionary position to procreate may be great for some people. But I would hazard a guess. Well, <laughs> guess, uh, experience, whatever you want to call it. That a lot of people enjoy other activities that involve a little bit more, you know, imagination. Everyone should have the right to feel protected and cared for, regardless of what standard society deems the norm. Before we get down and on it, though, here's a little index card to hopefully make things a little bit clearer. What's a sex on-site venue? A commercial venue expressly for engaging in public sex. They are legal, and although they often charge admission, the sex that people engage in is not a financial transaction. Here in the UK, we have lots dotted around the country with many in big cities. These are spaces that have steam rooms, jacuzzis, and often private booths where people can engage in some more intimate activities. And what about sex workers? Sex work is the exchange of erotic capital for financial, social, or equivalent capital. This can include porn actors, those with OnlyFans accounts, or anyone that has consensual sex in exchange for money. But this is not an exhaustive list. The term sex work is used to focus on the workers' rights of the individuals, as opposed to the criminalization of the work. You cannot be afraid of homophobia. That's virologist Joseph Osmondson. He's based in New York and has been incredibly vocal during this outbreak of monkeypox. We have to be able to talk to our community openly um, as, as people who love sex and who say, I go to sex parties or saunas and bathhouses. These are places that I find valuable. They give me pleasure. I find connection, even humor, um, joy. Uh, it is not about policing that type of queer pleasure. That type of queer pleasure is a huge aspect of queerness for many of us. We need to be able to say that. Queer pleasure. Everyone should have the right to feel pleasure and have a fulfilling sex life if they want to. During the early days of the 2022 monkeypox outbreak, the WHO recommended to consider limiting your sexual partners and interactions. But is abstinence really a long-term solution? It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Any infectious disease doctor who does not view their job that way is doing a disservice to their patients. In, in America, we are, we are having a huge moment of, of backlash against queer and trans folks. I know what the situation is like in the UK for trans folks especially, but these TERFs and fascists are not going, they're not, their homophobia is not gonna go away by us not talking about sex around monkeypox. The Audrey Ward thing, right? Like our silence will not protect us. We think that it feels like being silent will protect us, but it actually won't. People are going to hate you regardless of whether or not you speak. So if you don't speak honestly from your whole self, you're sort of doing the violence to yourself that you're waiting for them to do. And I would rather not do that violence to myself. Be aware that it might come externally, but if it comes let it come. I'm going to live as, as my whole self. And my whole self includes the fact that I enjoy having sex. Me too. Love it, in fact. For me, sex is so tied to my queer identity. 
when I came out, I, I wasn't announcing my psychic status to simply say, yas, queen, and fabulous. I was talking about who I would love and ultimately who I was going to be sleeping with. But the tropes of a gay man or what it means to be queer, it can often feel like we're having to dilute our queerness simply to be accepted. This was a big part of the successful movement for integration of queer people, at least in America. You know, I had a friend who worked at GLAAD who did media, tra media training for gay people. Uh, they said it's better to say gay than homosexual because for a woman in Kansas, uh, you know, uh, someone living outside of a major city, saying homosexual puts the word sex right in their face, whereas gay doesn't. But it's like, yeah, we do have sex, right? Like pretending that, you know, we want to just get married and have sex in a missionary position once every three weeks, like straight people do. That is not my experience of queerness. It's not what I, what I want. I think the more we're silent about that, the more shame internally we feel, the more shame other people around us feel for the types of sex that they like, as opposed to, you know, being honest and open in our lives and our friendship and the art that we make about the transcendent pleasure that we have in sexual connection. Back when I spoke to former Attitude editor and straight jacket author Matthew Todd, all the way back in episode four, we talked about how the world around us, the one that we grew up in, how it can impact us and impact how we see ourselves and our sex lives, and ultimately how we can internalize homophobia. I'm not afraid to admit that there have been times when I've had sex. Afterwards, I've felt shame. Not because of the sex I've had, but because on some level, I'm thinking about the prejudice held by other people. So what about those that work in the sex industry? I spoke with Jason Domino, who's a porn actor, but also an activist who works to support sex workers in the industry and their rights. For a lot of people that we're up against, we're up against people who sometimes believe that, so masturbation is a sin, and so as a sex worker, are we enabling people to be sinful? If we're having sex outside of marriage because of what's our work, are we, again, is that a sin there as well? All of these sort of different faith group expectations can sometimes be placed on us. And we have to have those conversations and say, you know, how much are these expectations of groups that you're a member of versus what we've actually like consented to being, you know, meeting and resetting people. I think for a long time, people have been afraid of sex in general. And I think it comes out in certain gray areas around sexual health and sex in general. But where does this come from? Jason attributes a lot of this down to education. Let's look at something like phimosis, where someone's foreskin is potentially too tight to, to, to be, like, retract. The fact that potentially parents aren't talking to children at the ages when they're able to sort of start be pulling that back and actually helping, helping to address and avoid someone like developing phimosis for later life is a, is a sign that it's not just about people actually having physical sex that is the uncomfortable conversation. It's about the sexual parts of the body, just like even parents talking to kids about their own health, where that child may later in life go through like an adult circumcision or something like that because there's been like nerves of the parent or, or if, it, if, if the parent wants to 
put that role on on a sexual health teacher or doctor how are those assumptions being actually like rolling out in wider society are are those doctors or teachers aware that those are the assumptions that are placed on them like there's a number of these of these conversations that really show just how extreme the fear of talking about sex has gotten to this lack of knowledge and general negative attitude towards sex and specifically queer sex puts us at such a disadvantage when you're dealing with something like monkeypox, the last thing you need to hear is demonizing language or blame. We certainly didn't have that with COVID. So why are we applying it here? For me, the biggest struggle I had with my monkeypox was the mental health side. I had all this shame and ultimately frustration that I'd lived up to these homophobic stereotypes that were surrounding me. Perhaps if I'd had a little more information and slightly less judgment when I was doom scrolling online, things could have been a bit easier. It's documented in the literature with this virus that it has really very serious mental health effects on recovered patients. Virologist Joseph Osmondson. The stigma, the pain of the illness, the long, long, long isolation. And right now for us, and it sounds like for y'all as well, people are not getting the practical and mental health care they need through the infection and into recovery. Um, people are really struggling around in recovery like, can I even hug my friends again, you know, and feeling so afraid of touch. We really need as, as friends, as community members, and then as advocates to advocate for people getting that care, including the mental health care that they will need to fully recover, both physically and mentally. I'm not alone. And if you've just had monkeypox, neither are you. Haran Talune who also went through monkeypox, had a very similar experience. But he's choosing to embrace the negative language and other people's opinions and use it to empower himself. Yes, people coming to me saying that, oh, if you could keep your pants on, you wouldn't have those. Well, if I wasn't born, actually, I wouldn't have any of my problems, right? So it happened. And yeah, it happened from sex, so what? You know, I'm looking after myself, I'm protecting myself and others, and I'm like a little bit pitch perfect fat Amy. You know, she takes the name fat so other people cannot, you know, hurt her anymore. So I'm just, I accept it. Yes, if you're going to call me a slag, yes, I'm a slag. So what? Let's discuss the after, what comes after that. So what else do you have in your bag for me? Um, and most of the time people just look at my face and just walk away because, you know, they don't ex expect you to be very open and honest about that. Uh, last week on, on, on Scruff, somebody messaged me, sexual health worker and looking for sex. What an irony. I said, do you think that sexual health workers are nuns? We just lock ourselves, not uh, touching any anybody or anything. So where this expectation comes from and who gives you that privilege to think about me that I'm, I have to uh, not to have sex? If we change the way we talk about queer sex and treated people going through something like monkeypox with the same care we do for any other condition, perhaps we'd start to dismantle some of this shame that surrounds it. We eat, we drink, you know, we sleep. Those are the, you know, humans that are need to continue living, right? We need to breathe, we need to have food. We cannot ignore the fact that sex is a very human very normal, something that we need to normalize more and more. I really, I'm really curious about how this judgment and suddenly, you know, pushing those conversations away 
started. Was that from coming from Adam and Eve? I don't think so. You know, so this kind of conversations or judgments, especially when it happens in the gay community, when there is like little side eyes, when someone is saying that they're going to uh, saunas or gay saunas or not, just what is wrong with that? This feels like the million dollar question, right? Like, what's that famous RuPaul quote? If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? If we can't address and support those in our community when it comes to issues relating to sex, then how can we expect others to? So how do we do that? That's after the break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. you don't address the shame why there's not really much point in, in doing my job that's tofa taylor he's a queer columnist and an award-winning pleasure expert what a title you can't fix a problem unless you know what the problem is almost so i need to tap into what people are embarrassed about what people are scared of like is it about poo is it about blood is it about pain is it about a catholic upbringing so it can go from one end of the scale to another, but you need to know where, where shame is in the equation. Because otherwise you're just, anyone can sit and say, I'm sex positive, I love sex. Here's a hashtag out of me holding a dildo. So I think you need to address shame in order to be sex positive. Otherwise it's just a bit of a hashtag in it. Like it doesn't mean anything unless you were really getting into the, you know, if you're nailing your balls to the wall, so to speak, you know, making yourself vulnerable. So many people outside of our community have an issue with the sex that we are having. And as a result, so many people within our community are feeling this pain. That's where sex on site venues come in. I know so many people that use these venues simply to feel safe. Some people aren't out and don't live in a safe environment that they can express themselves sexually without fearing harm. So if people are visiting these spaces to feel safe, when there's something like a monkeypox outbreak, how can these venues help to ensure that those looking for queer sanctuary are not putting themselves at risk? I have heard amazing things that venues are doing, like um, my friend works at Vault 139. Vault 139. It's a sex on site venue here in London. And they, they've done amazing work in like pushing people to, to get them tested. They made little QR code cards that they gave to everyone that visited, which gave people vaccination sites, etc. It's all these like grassroots, small people, like companies, small sex venues who really are grouping together to kind of almost not like take responsibility because I don't think it's fair, 
to put the blame on people. But I think if we're being honest and like we know that places like that will, unfortunately, but they will be a breeding ground because of the demographic that it, it, you know, so the best thing to do is to take the people who go to those venues who are more likely to have been exposed to monkeypox and educate them. And what more can people do than that? Because if they weren't doing it, um, you know, they'll be deemed irresponsible. So yeah, it might not be very sexy when you're going in somewhere to get your, you know, your asshole licked or, you know, God knows what else, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to know that these venues really are going out and like spreading information and, you know, kind of saying, yeah, this probably isn't very sexy, but it's really important that you know this. These venues are giving people the option to stay informed. But as many of us have experienced, it can be daunting having to address your own relationship to sex and sexual health. Everyone's, no one wants to be vulnerable. You know, I think people like the idea of it. We can romanticize vulnerability. But I mean, even our conversation, being vulnerable is saying, I have monkeypox because I had anal sex. And, you know, I then had pox inside of my anus. And it was, you know, because I'd had a sexual skin to skin, you know, interaction. You know, not it wasn't necessarily sex that gave me it, but it was the fact that I fucked. And I've got to hold my hands up and, you know, rather than cry about it, you know, I can turn around to the person on my right and say, you know, here's what you can do. You can get yourself vaccinated. You can educate yourself on what happens if you're showing symptoms. You can do A, B, C. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the only way is just if people were just more honest and open about their interests, their fears, you know, I think a lot of sex and a lot of shame surrounding sex comes from fear. So how do we change this? I, I tend to think of STI as, as a bit like stepping in chewing gum on the pavement. Jason Domino. You don't tend to, when it comes to chewing gum on the pavement, you don't tend to question where has this come from. If you're upset with where it's come from, then it's a really passing thing. You don't, you don't tend to try and like blame so much with that. Instead, you'll take care of the chewing gum that's on your shoe the best that you can and you keep enjoying your walk and encouraging people to think of it that way and to say that actually these are the sort of this is the diversity of living a human life I, I think for a lot of people that's kind of what an STI if they don't know what they're dealing with it represents to them they potentially it's not we're not just talking like um, fatalities and these sorts of things but we're talking about potentially like social isolation or like an end to their sex life and these types of things and I think that's again that's just about like conversations and actually highlighting that with with many STIs there's communities um, that people have passed through having the STI and, and 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 either it being a manageable treated thing or something that's been fully treated and cured like and people have carried on living you know I feel like every time I have an STI I try and communicate about it online I talk about you know when my HPV, you know, turn, started turning into sort of cancer risks and these sorts of things to be able to help other people avoid um, the risks by taking things like the vaccination against HPV. So the more that people are able to share some of these experiences, as you are with monkeypox, I think it just starts to help people feel a little bit more comfortable and, and, and to try and make some of those steps. There are some countries making giant leaps when it comes to this. Places like Belgium have been uh have a lower age when it talks about uh, sex and relationships education in schools i think a lot of the conversations that are had in those places could be more advanced as, as far as in the uk we could teach people about um 
about sexually transmitted infections and what actually happens when someone receives treatment and what is the sort of like what are the factors that that appear around um around the treatment so maybe later on in their in the, that person's education they would learn about window periods or maybe they would learn about shedding duration and that's that duration where after you've had treatment you might still have tests that show as positive because your body is still shedding that particular virus and that would mean it would be very difficult to know whether you've acquired a new sti within that duration but again these are the sort of like variables that people should know about so that they can apply critical thinking and actually navigating their life using these pieces of knowledge there's enough here to actually make a quite impacting syllabus or or, or components within syllabus and yet it's it's left out because people are uncomfortable discussing it the silence around sex is something i felt at school I mean, I could tell you a lot about reproduction for heterosexual couples, but didn't leave school armed with the knowledge about, say, knowing your status or the actions I could take for a healthier sex life as a gay man. I certainly didn't have a gorgeous French boyfriend to talk to me about douching. Douching is not essential if you eat a lot of fiber and empty your bowels regularly. And when it comes to monkeypox, this has also been the problem. If you say certain groups instead of saying sexually active queer, gay and bi men, how are people going to know this is the community most affected? And when it comes to sex work and sex that happens at on-site venues, if we don't address the unique areas of support these places need, vulnerable people could be left without help. I am a big advocate for the full decriminalization of sex work. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I am pro people getting into sex work. It's just that when it is decriminalized, it is less pushed underground. And um, that seems to happen even when only like partially it's pushed underground or partially criminalized, like the client being criminalized only. Um, there are places where it's been fully decriminalized. So New Zealand was the first, and then you have um, Victoria and West. Oh. Uh, West, no, Northwestern Territory, I believe it is, in, in Australia and Victoria, um, where they fully decriminalized. And um, I believe Belgium has recently as well. Canada's in discussion about it now, but it's still using another model. Um, and again, the idea is just so when it's fully decriminalized, you know, we can we can take to, tri to tribunal our bosses if they're not behaving in ways that we have consented to we could potentially sue a client if they are, were abusive to us there's there's different protection mechanisms in play when it becomes a legitimate business where we can sort of make sure we're being treated fairly it also makes it easier to distinguish between someone who hasn't consented to get into this industry and provide help for people who are in a trapped sort of situation the reason why there are often so many barriers when it comes to accessing care seems to be based on the value of how certain groups or spaces fit into quote-unquote normal society. But in truth, the label that a person holds should help them receive the exact care they need, not have them pushed out. Sex workers face a lack of acknowledgement when it comes to their job, which can leave many vulnerable, especially when it comes to their health. Currently, most sex worker care is sort of budgeted under taking care of the general public. And so 
that tends to be because things that were aimed at sex workers might get budget cuts because people are anti-sex work and they think if there's money going towards like the care and well-being and harm reduction of the community, then it's somehow enabling the community. What this meant was sex workers didn't get early access to vaccinations during COVID. We didn't have any particular appropriate support when it came to financial support, because a lot of the time people are in situations where they couldn't have met criteria for it. Um, we haven't been getting like the wider community hasn't been getting um, monkeypox vaccinations. Uh, and again, that's just because the criteria has been specified for men who have sex with men. But actually, a lot of a lot of sex workers have been acquiring uh, monkeypox, even when they're not a man who has sex with, a man who has sex with with men. Um, and the people that they've been having sex with potentially are, you know, um, are having many different partners from many different genders. I mean, the conversations don't seem to be around, is there any financial space for sex worker innovation care? Um, and the community's words on what's been happening seems to be a little bit on the back burner. That's something that concerns me generally. And let's face it, I couldn't work for the entire time I had monkeypox. So this created an economic barrier for me. This is even more acute when it comes to sex workers. I was home recovering, most of the time in isolation, for the best part of four weeks. But for many, this could be longer. And after that time, I had another three months worth of restrictions when it came to my sexual activity. At no point did I receive any financial support in the way that we saw for those who went through COVID. For me, it was only a matter of weeks. But if it had been four months without the ability to earn, which is the reality for many who work within the sex industry, if they acquire monkeypox, this is a big problem. When it comes to sex work, people to realize that active sex workers need to be in the room when it comes to discussions about the community, that far too often people are painting sex work as not only victimhood, but even when people are struggling in times of sex work, they're saying that someone is too much of a victim to have any autonomy or discussion around their own experiences. And we know through all other um, experiences that a professional's opinion on something isn't doesn't sort of erase the the need for the voices of people who've experienced something directly. Um, there is no one who really knows a space better than the people who've who've lived through it and are going through it. So I want to make sure that policies are in consultation and in direct relationship with groups like sex worker trade unions. Um, I would also want to make sure that there is funding, as I said before, going to medical care where harm reduction mechanisms are able to be specifically like innovatively on on sex workers because currently this mechanism of it just being sex workers just being part of the general public is meaning that some sex workers aren't getting the hpv vaccination because they're not within the age range and gender for getting the the, the hpv vaccine even though they're recently joined as a sex worker and having many more sexual partners after that point or not getting the type of testing that they would need as someone who's living with HIV in, you know, working in porn, they're not necessarily getting the type of test that would help them demonstrate quickly to studios that they're undetectable. There's all sorts of different 
bits of care that are falling through the, the gaps because it's not the type of specific treatment or, or process the general public get, even though it's something we as sex workers have actually a need and we can specify why. Not having people in the room, lack of financial support, access to care, people falling through the gaps, lack of information. It's clear that these topics are not solely linked to monkeypox. As this documentary series has shown, health inequalities are a big problem here in the UK and across the world. But if we share our stories and talk, we can find solutions. Indeed, we can simply apply a bunch of tools we already have that without government support and resources, we just aren't using. But we need to be able to do this without shame or fear of being persecuted. I reached out to a number of sex on site venues when making this and didn't get a response. Do I think this is because they don't care and don't want to be involved in this discussion? No. But do I think they may face a backlash if they were to talk about their business? That's certainly what's happened when they've done media before. Queer sex is beautiful and fun and yeah, it's also messy. Actually, that's often why it's really hot. It's really easy to shy away from talking about queer sex, sex work and sex on site venues, but we shouldn't. And so in the famous words of queer icons, salt and pepper. Because a big part of the reason monkeypox has felt oh so familiar is because of the shame some of us internalize that the world places on us. But the more we reject that shame, the more liberated we'll be. And the more future generations of queers can grow up in a world that loves them for who they are. On the final episode of season one of What The Pox, we have perhaps our most important interview yet. We meet leading experts from the World Health Organization who've led the whole world in responding to this outbreak as we consider the wider impacts and just how long monkeypox is going to be around for. You know, we're not out of it yet and we shouldn't take our foot off the accelerator. Um, the risk is, if we do that, that um, we're going to you know, see a resurgence, frankly, of the outbreak. With thanks to today's voices, Joseph Osmondson, Topher Taylor, Haran Talune, and Jason Domino. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Martin Joseph, and executive produced by Jamie Wareham. What the Pox is a Queer AF production, and we can't make this show without you. If you think it's valuable and we've done a good job, head to wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox. Find out how you can chip in the price of a coffee a month to help us make fearless content for the community. Because it counts instead of for clicks. That's wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox. And remember, we are Queer AF, and so are you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 